Father, I pray that in my preaching, you will fill the gaps of my deficiencies and help it to be a demonstration of the power of God. As we dive deep into your perfect and precious word, help us to come up clinging to promises. Before me, I have mature Christians and infant Christians. Help me to serve meat and milk that both will leave sustained and fed. There are before me those who are convinced they are Christians and they are not. There are before me those who are Christians yet aren't fully convinced of it. Both goats disguised as sheep and sheep going around doubting their sheepness. I've got what both need to eat. The gospel. Help me to preach this gospel as beautiful because it is. Help me to preach this gospel as convicting because it is. Help me to preach it as irresistible because it is. What I am asking is above my abilities. But not above your spirit. What I'm asking is that I'm not the preacher. Your spirit is. Will he preach the text to this congregation this morning? Only your spirit can make the scripture change from grainy black and white to brilliant colors. Father, as we study the Bible, it is serious and wonderful business. Help me to point the confused sheep to the right path, the straying sheep to the rod of discipline, the crying sheep to the balm of Gilead, the worried sheep to the sovereign control of the great shepherd. May we all leave this place with confidence because we sinning lambs have found forgiveness in the sacrificial lamb. Our souls have many needs. This text teaches many truths. May the truths be applied to the needs. Work them deep in our souls where they become part of our DNA and we start to live them out. This is our corporate plea. Amen. We've been walking verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. We've completed 21 Sundays. We've looked at the church in Corinth. Thank God for the church. The church and her challenges. The unimpressive. A theology of preaching. The wisdom of God and the spirit of God. Babies and farming. God's construction site, correctly viewing pastors and ourselves, the Messiah's misfits, the neglected practice of church discipline, airing dirty laundry in public, sexual sin, answering questions about marriage, sex, and singleness, all of life for all of God, be wise about Christian liberty, Paying for your gospel meals, the soul winner, God's history lesson, the FCF for FFC, living in idolatry-filled Corinth, covered heads and broken bread, and now we've arrived at chapter 12, the 22nd exposition of this series. 
Giftology, a study of God's gifts for the church. Giftology, a study of God's gifts for the church. And this is a popular one. Everyone's preached through chapter 12. Everyone loves spiritual gifts. And I hope you are ready for us to hand out a spiritual gift test at the end of service. <laughs> Those dreadful personality tests, spiritual gift inventories that don't seem to be found anywhere in the Bible, but are found in so many local churches. There have been decades of bad questionnaires written from this chapter. Notice I said decades and not centuries. The theologians of old didn't do that to the text. No, us modern interpreters brought that affliction on the text. To my embarrassment and shame, we actually had those questionnaires around here when I first started pastoring. They lasted about three months. Once I started reading the Bible, I had to get rid of them. The Lord has been merciful to me in my stupidity. This passage is confusing for many. The interpretation is sharply contested. It can lead to complications in applying the text. The precise application of this text is highly disputed even among the best scholars. The myriad of commentaries giving opposite interpretation and application is an example of the challenges that we face this morning. There are several questions I intend to answer. Like, if God gave these gifts to the church, are you telling me he took some of them back? He gave a gift, then took it back? If he took them back, why didn't he take all of them back? Why only some of them? Are you telling me he gave the first century church a gift that he didn't give the 21st century church? There's a lot to cover. So let's work through these headings. We need to put the gifts in their proper place. Verses 1 through 3. We need to discover who gives the gifts. What are the gifts. And why we are given the gifts. Verses 4 through 11 and verse 28. Thirdly, we need the metaphor of a body to fully understand spiritual gifts. Verses 12 through 31. We need to put the gifts in their proper place. We need to discover who gives the gifts. What are the gifts and why we are given the gifts? We need the metaphor of a body to fully understand spiritual gifts. Now we're going to take them one at a time. First, we need to put the gifts in their proper place. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Corinthians were deeply confused about spiritual gifts. They had an incorrect giftology. Their perception of the gifts and use of them began to harm the church. Gifts are to promote unity. They were using them to cause division. They had an unbiblical understanding of the gifts which resulted in bad theology, which resulted in bad behavior. People who have the gifts can misunderstand the gifts and overvalue the gifts. Paul will spend three chapters on the gifts. We're just getting started today. Apparently, it is possible for a church to have the wrong understanding of spiritual gifts, not only in the first century, 
but most certainly in our century. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Paul reminds this church, you are not now what you once were. He's recalling their pagan past before they experienced the Spirit's power. You used to worship mute gods. Now you worship the speaking God. This echoes the Old Testament critique of false gods as idols that cannot speak. Verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The first mark of the Spirit is a correct view about Jesus, not gifts. You have to get your Christology right before you can get your giftology right. This is Christianity's central confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord implies deity. It's the litmus test for Christianity. The Holy Spirit made these people abandon their pagan verdicts concerning Jesus and adopt his glorious claims. The Holy Spirit always leads men to ascribe deity to Jesus Christ. When you say Jesus Christ is Lord, that is a confession wrought by the Holy Spirit. That kind of confession is the fundamental evidence of the Spirit's work. That affirmation is not natural. It is supernatural. That's the primary gift of the Holy Spirit. He gifts you a confession, a glad-hearted submission to the Lordship of Christ. God wants His church to be Christ-centered, not gift-centered. Christocentric, not charismatic-centric. So before we even get into the gifts, you need to know that they are slaves to Christ, secondary to Christ, butlers to Christ. We need to put the gifts in their proper place. And it is sad that those who tend to dive deeply into the gifts do not dive deeply into theology. Non-Christian, we are going to talk about some crazy gifts today. But none of them are better than this gift. The gift of viewing Jesus correctly. If you walked in here saying, Jesus is accursed, and then you leave saying, Jesus is Lord, that confession was wrought by the Holy Spirit. You can't even say it unless the Holy Spirit gave it to you. You don't repent on your own. You are first shown the need to repent, then you're given the desire to repent, then given the power to stay repenting. Your intellectual skills didn't make you see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. The Spirit gifted that sight to you. Even today, when, when some of you non-Christians, when you turn, you repent of your sin against a holy God and run to Christ for salvation, it's going to seem like you did it all, all on your own. But the Holy Spirit made you abandon your previous pagan verdicts concerning Christ and adopt His glorious claims. You will soon say, I can't take any credit for the work of God in my life. He saved me in spite of me. We need to put the gifts in their proper place, 
Now we need to discover who gives the gifts, what are the gifts, and why we are given the gifts. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Paul says the same thing three different ways. Most likely, gifts, service, and activities do not indicate three different ways that the Holy Spirit equips us for ministry, but rather a rhetorical tool to say the same thing in different ways, to add emphasis. He's pointing to the variety of allocated gifts. There's a bountiful diversity of gifts. He stresses the rich diversity of God's good gifts poured out on the church. Gifts are divided divvied up among members in the church by whom? How are the gifts sourced? Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's Jesus Christ. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God. That's the Father. The entire Trinity is involved in the, in the distribution of spiritual gifts. The gifts are many. The source is one. The Trinity. The Trinity is active in giving gifts. Never divorce the gifts from the Father and the Son. Well, that's just something that the, the Spirit does. No. What are the gifts that the Trinity gives? Well, these gifts are not something you're born with. These gifts come later. They are not natural talents, things you possess even before you came to Christ. Not natural talents, but spiritual gifts. They are not natural, but supernatural. They come from outside of you. You didn't work for them. You didn't earn them. Gifts weren't given to you as a reward for your awesomeness. The text, stop bragging about your gifts, Corinth. God in grace gave them to you. They are grace gifts, grace deposits, uniquely fitted for you. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Apparently, there were some in the church at Corinth thinking they didn't have a gift. So Paul said, to each, every Christian gets a gift. There is a distribution, a division, an allotment. Gifts are not for a select few. Every Christian receives at least one spiritual gift and some may get more than one. No one is giftless in the church. Every member has been given supernatural endowments. Everyone in the church at Corinth has a gift. They were supernaturally endowed in some way. This is not something on top of grace or better than grace but it is a manifestation of grace. Each believer is given some manifestation of the Spirit, even if the manifestations are more spectacular and upfront than others. Every person is gifted by the Spirit for, that's the purpose statement, for the good of the whole. The purpose of gifts is to serve the church. They are to edify the church and evangelize the world. Gifts are necessary for the establishment and maintenance of the church. 
this gift is not something you do on your own in isolation. It is for the body. You have to use it for the body. The church has to benefit from it. They are not about me. They are about others. Gifts do not show off the human being, but the spirit. They manifest, show the spirit. Matthew Henry said, the gifts are not given for show, but for service. Not for pomp and circumstance, but for edification. Each Sunday, you manifest the gifts here as you encourage one another, as you labor and serve the body, as you care for others throughout the week. You receive the gifts every Sunday as you benefit from the teaching of others. Every believer has some display of the Spirit's presence. Gifts are divine enablements for ministry. They are the effects of being empowered by God to work. Everyone gets the gifts. Everyone benefits from the gifts. Now, Paul begins to list some of the gifts. He will give two lists of gifts in our chapter. This is the first Verse 8. For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. These two gifts are probably the hardest to define. It's not entirely clear how these two gifts differ from each other. Perhaps the distinction was clearer to the first century church than it is to ours. Verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit. This is obviously distinct from saving faith. The kind mentioned here is not the kind given to every believer. Since saving faith is a common possession of all Christians, Paul cannot be talking about that. Not salvation faith, but mountain moving faith. Some supernatural endowment of faith. Faith to perform extraordinary work. Exceptionally strong trust that God will work in a particular situation to bring about good. Verse continues, to another, the word another is used to introduce each gift. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. These are dramatic, instantaneous healings. You find them in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles and all throughout the book of Acts. It's the ability to heal the sick without medicine. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles. These are mighty supernatural acts like casting out demons or the ability to suspend nature. There, there were people who did this in the church at Corinth. To another prophecy. That's to communicate revelation from God in a spontaneous utterance. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's to determine if this is from the spirit or if it's satanic. A special ability to recognize lying spirits. In Philadelphia, Paul recognized, in, in Philippi, Paul recognized the slave girl had a demonic spirit. You can distinguish demonic forces from the Holy Spirit. The verse continues, to another various kinds of tongues. Now the book of Acts gives us our basis for tongues. This is not gibberish. These tongues were actual human languages, not incoherent babbling. 
The gift of tongues was a missionary gift. Various kinds of tongues point to various kinds of languages. The supernatural ability to speak in a foreign language previously unknown. It was never ecstatic utterances in the Bible. It was always a human language that a non-native speaker was granted the ability to speak in order to proclaim the gospel. To another, the interpretation of tongues. That's the ability to translate a language you don't know to someone else who can understand it. A translated tongue is the functional equivalent of prophecy. Verse 28, that's the first list. Verse 28 gives another list of gifts. All the gifts in verses 8 through 10 were in the church at Corinth. And all the gifts in verse 28 were in the church at Corinth. Look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. Let's pause here. Apostles and prophets experienced revelation from God. They held unique authority over the church. Paul was an apostle. I do not believe the office of apostle or prophet exists today. It passed away at the end of the first century. As those offices began to fade, they were replaced with new offices in the church, pastor and deacon. It is striking that the original apostles and those in the apostolic circle did not ordain new apostles. Do you ever notice that? Instead, whenever they plant new churches, they ordain elders. One scholar said, as the apostles began to die off with their special revelation, the church received the divinely inspired writings, scripture, as authoritative in the apostles' absence. Although the apostles disappeared, their doctrine did not. Elders were entrusted with it. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. These teachers did not get their message by the Spirit. They taught the scriptures. Then miracles, then gifts of healing. They were on the previous list. Notice this gift, helping. Did you know that God gives the gift of helping? It's a beautiful word that means to take the burden off someone else and place it on yourself. Some of you do this gloriously. You are always looking to take someone else's burden and put it on your shoulders. You were not like that before you came to Christ. Epaphroditus ministered to Paul's needs. He was a helper. Notice the next gift, administrating. The word is only mentioned here in the New Testament. It speaks of someone who can pilot the ship, who can steer the vessel. He can direct things. Setting things up so they run smoothly. The last and various kinds of tongues. This was on the previous list. This is not an exclusive list. It's a representative list. No gift list in the Bible has all the same gifts. This is not a rigid, exhaustive compilation. Paul is not attempting to define and catalog all the spiritual gifts. In fact... There are five different lists of gifts in the New Testament. We just walked through two of them. Let's look at all five together. You have the original nine on the left. And you say, I cannot see them, Kyle. I understand. I create these 
these uh, impossible charts for you to see. You have the original nine on the left. Verse 28 adds five more. You see that? Apostles, prophets, teachers, helps, administration. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, adds five more. Service, exhortation, giving, leadership, acts of mercy. Ephesians repeats three gifts mentioned in the others, but then adds two. Evangelists, pastors. And then you have 1 Peter that repeats two that are already mentioned. These lists are not meant to be exhaustive, but representative. There are many more gifts the Spirit gives. The gift of encouragement, working with children. God does not give us a full list because the diversity of gifts would blow our minds. Now, there have been many attempts to classify these gifts into categories. Tim Keller always liked prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, kingly gifts. Others have preferred speaking gifts, serving gifts, and sign gifts. There are quite a few three-category classifications. Then there are some two-category classifications, like verbal gifts and nonverbal gifts. Because of the mass confusion surrounding this text, I will spend more time than usual unpacking these gifts. I do not want to be what I think I see a lot of pastors doing, and that is unhelpfully vague. I desire to be clear. I like this classification. Temporary gifts, permanent gifts. Temporary gifts, permanent gifts. Permanent gifts edify the church. Temporary gifts confirm the apostleship. I contest some of these gifts are permanent. They are still going on today. Some are temporary. They are not going on today. The Corinthians lived in the time of the apostles when special revelation still occurred. You see that dwindling as you come to the end of the book of Acts, certainly dwindling to a trickle in the general epistles. Jesus and the apostles performed miracles in the presence of others to confirm the truth of the gospel. B.B. Warfield said, these miraculous gifts were part of the credentials for the apostles as authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function confined them distinctly to the apostolic church and they are necessarily passed away. They existed for a certain space and time during God's unfolding drama of redemption to give credentials to the apostles. Let's look at Three theological positions on the spiritual gifts. Look at that chart. That's a beauty, isn't it? Well, one of our spiritual gifts around here is making charts. Let's talk about cessationist, continuationist, and charismaniacs. We'll talk about cessationist first. Cessationists believe God no longer endows the church with the sign gifts. No longer endows the church with the sign gifts. You said, who, who holds to this? Clement of Rome lived in 99, less than 40 years after 1 Corinthians was written. Justin Martyr, 165. Origen, 185. Athanasius, 373. Chrysostom, 8407. As early as the time of the church father Chrysostom, 
Christians were wondering what these gifts entailed since they thought it had long ceased to operate in the church. So shortly after the gifts, the church was saying, I, don't, I, don't even, I can't even fully define these gifts. Augustine, historians and theologians of the early church unanimously maintained that tongues ceased to exist after the time of the apostles. Other men that hold to this, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Owen, Thomas Watson, Matthew Henry, John Gill, Jonathan Edwards, Tom Pennington, Kevin DeYoung, John MacArthur, Stephen Davey, Denny Burke, James Hamilton, Tom Schreiner, which I think is the strongest New Testament scholar living, Stephen Lawson, Vadi Balkum, B.B. Warfield, Mark Dever, J.I. Packer, R.C. Sproul, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Alistair Begg, Tim Keller. He was, a, he was a mild cessationist at the least, full cessationist at the most. Paul Washer, Roger Ellsworth, Burke Parsons. Now, that's cessationist. Now, what is a continuationist? A continuationist, they say that the supernatural gifts are given to, to every generation. And they should be practiced today. The gifts are still operating as they were. These people are not liking my two divisions that I have. Permanent gifts and temporary gifts. They're saying they're all permanent gifts. Um, the president where I received my doctoral degree, Dr. Aiken. Uh, John Piper, who's a reformed, refers to himself as a reformed charismatic. Tony Morita. Wayne Grudem. Big influence in this. Richard Baxter just on the prophecy section. Uh, Sam Storms, D.A. Carson. I think Sam Storms and D.A. Carson write the clearest case for this position. Storms is a bit emotional and offended in argumentation. Carson is more fact-driven and, and then moves on. Uh, Ryan Kelly holds to this. Andrew Wilson. And then let's talk about char charismaniacs. There, there are levels of continuationists. I didn't want to group them all together because that would be very unfair to the middle column guys who still have good theology, but we differ on this issue. So you've got vineyard churches, four square churches, Assembly of God, the two largest churches in Clarksville are AG churches, Assembly of God, uh, Pentecostal churches. The evidence of tongue speaking in church history is exceedingly sparse along with these other sign gifts. Then suddenly, with the rise of the charismatic movement in the 60s and 70s, it brought a resurgence of interest in the sign gifts. And you have them once again being unleashed upon the church. And some of you come out of some crazy charismatic stuff, and you have told me your stories, and I cannot believe that stuff actually goes on. It's wild. Now, the middle section is what I call on the fringe of charismatics, the far right of that movement. I love these brothers and have learned from all of them. The Reformed view of gifts continuing seems to be different from the Pentecostal view of gifts continuing. You understand? The Reformed view of gifts continuing seems to be different from the Pentecostal view of gifts continuing. My opinion is that this middle column they de-supernaturalize the gifts. They de-supernaturalize the gifts and make them less miraculous so they fit in our churches today. They claim, like Grudem, that any prophetic utterance from God isn't on par with Scripture. Where the third column would say that it is. Someone praying for a person to be healed and then they are healed, this middle column is moving that into the category of the gift of healings. 
See how the gift is softened? The, 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 miracle of, of the miracle of medicine to heal people is just not the miracle of the healer in the Bible. We believe God heals people miraculously all the time. We just don't think that he uses people to do that. This is not a debate on if God still works miracles. All agree, God's, all columns agree God still works miracles. God still does miracles, but not through human agencies. Now, it is sometimes different. It, I found it sometimes difficult to have a sane and thoughtful discussion because the adherents to whatever column are so emotionally charged. Let me give you some situational scenarios. How, how would we deal with these things differently than maybe the middle column? If someone stands up in the service today and starts speaking in, in tongues, I am not going to ask for an interpreter. Some of the people in the middle column would. I am going to say, sit down, or I will have you removed. Sometimes I feel like this middle section believes gifts in theory, but not in practice. You go to our churches, you go to their churches, you think, what, gifts? That, that gifts are alive and well, but it's not going to happen in my church on Sunday morning. There are theoretical continuationists, but not practicing continuationists. Fine with it on the mission field, but don't you dare bring it to the United States. Now, some of you are in the middle column. That, that's, that's where you are in good conscience. I wasn't always a cessationist. I was a cautious continuationist probably seven to eight years ago and as I grew in the scripture I changed my position as I started visiting churches in other countries it further confirmed it for me that sign gifts ended when the first century apostolic era came to an end you, you only lay a foundation once and all that took place when they were laying the foundation now I think that all the gifts were in the church at Corinth I don't think they're all in our church. I think that they were all in the first century. I don't think they're all in the 21st century. I do think some gifts are still functioning. Helps, administration, teachers, service, exhortation, giving, leadership, acts of mercy, evangelist, pastor, service. Those gifts are flourishing in our church. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who are portions to each one individually as he wills. All these gifts have a common empowerment, the same Spirit. The power comes from the same origin. The Spirit is sovereign in distributing the gifts. The credit for these gifts belongs solely to the Spirit. He decides who gets what and when. You can't impart these gifts. You can't create these gifts. Either the Holy Spirit gives them or he doesn't. No class, no seminar can make them come to fruition. The Spirit gives as he wills. Who gives the gifts? The Spirit, more specifically the Trinity. What are the gifts? Supernatural endowments that you are not born with. I showed you 21 or 22 on the chart. Why are we given the gifts? To edify the church, to serve the church. Let's move to our third point here. We need to put gifts in their proper place. We need to discover who gives the gifts, what are the gifts, and why we are given the gifts. 
Thirdly, we need the metaphor of a body to fully understand spiritual gifts. This is so incredibly rich. So rich. This is where Paul introduces us to spiritual anatomy. He says, look at the church as a human body. Verse 12. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, you can see how this gift thing works out by looking at your own body. God determines what the body looks like and who is in it. Just because the parts are different, it doesn't impair the body's function. It actually enhances it. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All believers are baptized in the spirit at the moment of conversion. You say, Kyle, I wish you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Friend, I did at conversion. All Christians are baptized in the spirit. It, it, is, not, it is not possible to have more than one baptism of the Spirit. Scripture gives no command for Christians to pursue a baptism of the Spirit. Nowhere. You know why? Because they already possess it. Alistair Begg says, any notion that you may have that it is possible to have Christ and not have the Spirit is not a New Testament notion. It is impossible to be born again by the Spirit of God without being baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. Other texts tell us Jesus is the baptizer and he baptizes us in the Spirit at conversion. Classic Pentecostalism taught a second-order blessing that comes later in life. And they use this text to teach it. And that is simply not the teaching of the Apostle Paul. J.I. Packer says... A reference to the second blessing has to be read into the text. It cannot be read out of the text. The Pentecostal theologians err in making tongues the sign of one's anointing by the Spirit. It's already been said to this church, not all of you are going to have the gift of tongues. I don't know of a doctrine that's caused more confusion in the church than what the Pentecostals are preaching here. Their whole understanding of tongues is, is an unbiblical one. Now let me move on. Notice the glorious un and unshakable unity we have in Christ. Things that divide people out there have no impact on us in here. The old labels are no longer useful. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, racial distinctions. We need something larger, more comprehensive. No social aspects affect you being in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are all the way in. Paul is emphasizing in verse 13 oneness because there's division in the church at Corinth. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God doesn't build his church body like kids build Mr. Potato Head. It's all arms. No eyes, no mouth, just a bunch of arms. God doesn't build his local church that way. He proportions them perfectly. 
we don't want to consist of one body part. A body consisting of a single organ, that can't function. All eyeballs or all kneecaps would be grotesque, a freak show. If the whole body is an eyeball, you can't walk anywhere. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong in the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong in the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. You say, what's going on in this verse? We have human limbs talking. <laughs> the, the foot says, well, I'm not elegant like the hand. It's adorned with rings and I just have a stinky sock covering me. The foot may very well be depressed at its inability to exercise the complicated function of the hands. The ear says, I'm not at the center of the face like the eyes. I'm over here on the side of the face. Most of the time covered by hair. No one even sees me. The ear may complain about its place in the body. Its function in the body. These talking body parts represent members in the church at Corinth and members of Faith Family Church. This is the self-deprecator. Well, they don't need me. Pastors hear it all the time. Paul is teaching them there are distinctions of function, not of value. Legs and eyes have different roles. And both are vital, very important. Ear gifts and ear graces look at the person with eye gift and eye graces and say, I wish I were them. A deflated self-image is always about comparison. Comparison makes you feel useless. Just because you may feel unimportant, that doesn't change the fact that you are crucial to this body. You are not dispensable or disposable. Comparisons are deadly in the Christian life. It makes us think we're not loved or cared about. Well, I'm not a small group leader. I'm only a shut-in. I'm not a musician. I'm a stay-at-home mom with absolutely no margin in my life. You are excluding yourself because you feel inferior. You are starting to back away. And you are on your way out the door. Get out of your head and into the Bible. You are important. A lot of our members don't know you. That's fine. When there is a circle of people talking and you are the quietest in the circle and then you kind of fade out and nobody notices... God is addressing those who feel inferior. Well, I can't serve the church like they can. In your pride, you are thinking lowly of yourself. Your problem is you don't believe God placed you here. Well, someone does better than me, so I'm not needed. You know who told you that? Satan. You must confess your inverted pride. You must confess your inverted pride which makes you insecure. You don't get to choose gifts. 
God dispenses his gifts. We should not be discontent with what he gives. Now, I'm going to sprinkle from here on out six giftology truths. And this is the first. Giftology truth number one. When you remove yourself from the body, you hurt others. When you remove yourself from the body, you hurt others. You have no right to remove yourself from your God-given spot in the church. Deciding you no longer want to serve the body is like cutting off a limb. You are selfish and consumed with you, you, you. You need to repent and get back in the body. Stop trying to get others to feel sorry for you. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You are needed here. What's happening is that you are getting your worth from your gift. And you were never meant to get your worth from your, from, from your gift. You were never meant to get your worth from being an ear or a foot. You don't get your worth from the gift. You get your worth from the gift giver. Giftology truth number two. Everyone needs to accept his or her limitations. Everyone needs to accept his or her limitations. Some try to reduce the church to one function. Usually Bible colleges or seminary students. Some try to reduce the church to one function. Like evangelism. Or music. Or serving. Well, we are the evangelistic church. Well, we are the singing church. Well, we are the serving church. Wrong. You should be all of those things. You, you should have ears and eyes and feet. You, you don't want to only have one. And I've seen this so often. Some evangelist sweeps through town. You say, yeah, by the way, why don't we have those here? We're never going to have those here. Some evangelist sweeps through town and tells his stories of converting 35 people on the plane ride over. And you're listening and you're filled with guilt because you're not doing that. And here's what is happening. You are feeling guilty because you don't excel at a particular gifting. You are feeling guilty because you don't excel at being an eye when you are an ear. You can't powerfully coerce with a mouth, but you can't comfort with the hand. You haven't let down the team if you're not able to do that. I've seen this with two people that possess the same gifting. But one does that gifting better to a greater degree. And you think, well, she does it so well, there's no place for me. Just because she does it well, that doesn't demean you. God gives different gifts, and within the same gift, he gives different aptitudes. There are no unneeded people in this body, including you. In verse 17, Paul asks a couple rhetorical questions. He tells them, don't answer, just think about it. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
Just as each organ and limb of the human body has its own role and function, likewise, each Christian has a place in the church that is indispensable to the health of the body. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. I love these three words. As he chose. God placed each member where he wanted them. We are not haphazardly placed in this church. God has arranged us. His oversight and creativity is on display. Just look around. He made a selection. He made a choice. He could have put someone else where you are. But he said, no, I want him there. And you say, Kyle, I really wish God would put me in John MacArthur's church. Well, he doesn't wish that. He puts you in this church. Of all the churches on planet Earth, of all the local bodies, he says, this woman needs this body. Verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. We are different from one another. God made us this way. We are not all the same. God has arranged us in the body. Marvel at how God put put together the physical body and then marvel at how God put together the spiritual body. Someone said, when it comes to a symphony, You must have three sections, wind, string, and percussion, or else you don't have an orchestra. You need the different giftings to make beautiful music. God is putting together an orchestra here. It's his composition. He knows who he wants on the trombone and saxophone. We are making music as the body of Christ. The world hears it, and they fall under conviction of sin. God sees it, and he's honored by it. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We go from the self-deprecator to the self-exalter. My gifts are more important than others. Paul moves from the deflated self-image to the inflated self-image. Both parties were in the church at Corinth. The strategy of the evil one is to deflate us in order to defeat us or to inflate us in order to deceive us. Both are pride. Thinking of yourself too lowly, you're unvaluable. Thinking of yourself too highly, you're invaluable. In both cases, the focus is on yourself. You can't look at anyone in this church and say, I can get along without you. You can't look at one person in this church and say, I can get along without you. That is the hand telling the ear, get lost, I don't need you. Oh, you don't have the teaching gift? Well, you're JV. You don't have the administration gift? You're not really needed. You can't have a low regard for someone else's place in the body. Everybody is somebody in his body. The elbow is to be interested in what the eye is seeing. Like singing harmony. 
In order to do that, you have to listen to other parts and know what they are singing. This speaks to the indispensability of every member in the body. What if a, what if a foot was taken from you? Is that dispensable? No. It's necessary to the whole. Do not determine the worth of individual believers based on their spiritual gifts in the church. Once you think about the church as a body, you will not think of the church like that. There are no dispensable body parts. Paul chastises the elite and he encourages the insecure. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He's talking about delicate organs there. Verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Would you, would you pause here? We bestow great honor on those among us whom the world bestows no honor. Verse 23b. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. The unpresentable parts... Every scholar agrees. They're speaking of private parts. The sexual organs we keep behind clothing. They are important even though they're covered up. We have body parts that are evident, visible immediately, and other body parts that are not. The point, even those whose gifts are not immediately apparent in the public gathering are still absolutely vital to the church. Now, you can become very crude in applying this, and that is beneath the pulpit. Behind the clothes speaks of those who are behind the scenes. It makes, it, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed. It's valuable. Verse 24. Which are more presentable parts do not require... But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This points to the mutual care in the body. When I hit my finger with a nail, excuse me, this shows you that I don't have hammers a lot. The staff takes those away from me right away. When I hit my nail with a hammer, I don't know what I said earlier. When I hit my finger, my nail with a hammer, my whole body hurts for my one finger. My mouth moves when my finger hurts. My knees bend when my finger hurts. My mouth says, ouch. My brain tells my other hand to put pressure on it. When you stub your toe in the middle of the night, every other part of your body reacts. Your mind reacts. Your arm reacts. Your face reacts. The same is true in the church body. When we have one member hurt, we hurt for them. Their pain all of a sudden becomes your pain. You think, I need to pray with them. I need to text them something encouraging. I need to mail a note. I need to make a meal. I need to intercede for them. 
when we have a finger hurt, the rest of the body moves in. At FFC, no member suffers in isolation. On the flip side, no member celebrates in isolation. When one part of the body is honored, every part of the body rejoices with it. When you have a baby, we celebrate. When you have an answer to prayer, we rejoice. When you have a prodigal return home, we feast. We experience joys and pains as a unit. We are more closely connected than you have ever realized. Which leads us to giftology truth number three. This is why you should only miss the corporate gathering for absolutely necessary reasons. This is why you should only miss the corporate gathering for absolutely necessary reasons. The human body illustrates the church. Every, depart, every part is dependent upon the other. I am dependent on you. When you're not here, it affects me. It's supposed to. God's church is an organism, not an organization. This is why I will not miss the gathering. You say, well, you're preaching. Who's going to preach? we got a lot of preachers around here. This is why I will not miss the gathering. It's not just about me. It's about others. They need me here. It's the beauty of interdependence. The church needs you. You have unsaved family in town? Bring them. They need to hear the gospel. You're going to the lake? Come home in time for corporate worship. The church at Corinth was full of people who thought, my actions are disconnected from the other members in the church. And Paul says, wrong. You are interdependent. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members in it. He continues this extended metaphor on the church as a body. The word you is emphatic. You is plural. You are the body of Christ. You all in this meeting make up the local body of Christ. That's what he's saying. He's writing to one local church, but it is true of every local church. Not all local churches will look alike. There's going to be diversity in how God lays out the gifts. Giftology truth number four. Don't ever complain about God's gifting in the body. Don't ever complain about God's gifting in the body. Pastor, why aren't more people doing this? Well, because we're not all ears. Are you complaining about the body because everyone isn't exactly like you? I'm so glad everyone isn't exactly like you. We would be a bunch of big toes. <laughs> See the exercise of someone else's gift and how that enables you to practice your gift. Well, they don't do this. Yes, but them doing that gift allows you to do your gift. One pastor said, each of us must recognize the role that is given to others. The extrovert needs the introvert. The impulsive needs the cautious. The inspirational need the analytical. The old need the young. 
the prominent need the obscure. We all need one another. Each part of the body needs the rest of the body. Now let me hit it from another angle. If you see a lack in this body, if you see a lack in this body, a gifting that isn't being exercised, pastor, no one is doing this in the church, then you should do it. You are the only one who is seeing that it's going undone. No one is going around the auditorium and talking to people who are sitting by themselves. You're the only one that's seeing that that isn't happening. So go do it. There's, there's dozens, hundreds of other people who love the Lord, who are using their gifts. They don't see that that's not happening. But you see it. So go and do it. If you see discouraged people, there's a reason. That means you have the gift of encouragement. Don't complain about the body not encouraging. Use your gift. Step up and step in. Giftology truth number five. Gifts bring corresponding responsibility. Gifts bring corresponding responsibility. God has gifted you with one of the permanent gifts. You are responsible for it. Did he put you in the body? Then you are in the body to do something no other part can do. Everyone needs to assume his or her responsibility. The reason for service is not to feel fulfilled. Now I feel like Paul, I feel like I have to preach stuff Paul never had to preach. But the church is in a weird place in the States. The reason for service is not for you to feel fulfilled. Well, Kyle, I feel really fulfilled when I do this, so it's my spiritual gift. Maybe. You serve because Jesus served, not because it gives you a good feeling. Even the gift of hospitality, many of you ladies have this, it can wear you out. But that doesn't mean you don't have the gift. Every gift should be unwrapped and put into service of the local body. A Christian who is not serving their local church is a contradiction. The last giftology truth, six. You should not be outside of the local body. You should be in a local body. You should not be outside of a local body. You should be in a local body. This text projects a communal view of the church that discourages individualism. You will not thrive in isolation. You will not. One theologian said, the rugged individualist will only lead to self-cannibalization. In other words, a push for independence from the community is really a push toward one's own demise. In the West, we've seemed to lose the importance of the local church. One of the marks of spiritual growth is that you grow increasingly concerned about the body. You become more corporate, not less. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not need to be involved in a local church. 
A small group is not a local church. Navigators is not a local church. A military chapel is not a local church. You should not be outside of the local body. You should be in a local body. Paul has no category for a Christian. Paul has no category for a Christian who isn't an ear, eye, or arm in a local church like Corinth. Father, I want to thank you for this text. I want to thank you for the struggle that I've had with this text. This has been good for my soul. I know this text has now been good for your local body. Anything that was said that could harm your church, pull it from the minds of these people. Anything that was said that would build your church, implant it in the hearts of these people. You have given us the roadmap. You build your church by your word. We submit it to that today. I want to thank you for this good text. Amen.